Colossians lesson 8, the 2nd of July. And we turned over to 1 Corinthians 4.1. Who would like to read that for me? I'll read. Okay. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Okay. Read verse 2 also, if you would. Moreover, it is required stewards that a man be found faithful. Okay. So here it says the ministers of Christ are responsible for what? Knowing the mysteries and not just knowing them but teaching the mysteries. So if you're a minister if you're and you can define that you could define that as a preacher you can find that as a servant if you're someone in the church you need to know these. It's important. And especially if you're a minister, okay? In this church, I think we would lump everybody, even though we have pastors and ministers, the whole, the, if you're a member of the church and you're an adult, you need to know the Bible just as well as the pastor does now, okay? It's not that the pastors are so much smarter than everybody else, because I'm not, okay? My point is, there, it says here that they are given that as a steward of it. Someone who will hold on to it. Someone who will be faithful in teaching it. Okay? Then turn over to Romans 16.25. I'm just trying to get my base going here. Romans 16.25-26. says, Now to him that is... Of now to him that is of power to establish you in according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the everlasting God made known to all the nations for the obedience of faith. So again, a mystery there. Okay, and it is given to Paul, it's given to the church. Okay, now turn over to Acts. I'm just running through some scripture for you, real quick. Acts chapter 26, I think it's on your handout. Acts 26, and then we're going to read 16 through 20. And this is basically Paul's commission here, or his mission. Uh, verse 16 says, But rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. This is Christ talking to him. Verse 17, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom I now send thee, to open their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins, and and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea, Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. So along with Paul's mission given to him by Christ was to go and preach the gospel. We're all there, right? That was Paul's mission. But it was more than just preach to them the gospel. 
It was also to give them the the uh, mysteries that God had for the church, and then all the doctrine for the New Testament church. Okay. So, I, I heard once that um, there was a certain group or certain pastor that was that was asked to come and be a part of an evangelistic event going on in a third world country and he goes so tell me a little bit more about what's going on and he goes well we're going to come in there and we're going to do a, a week long thing and we're going to preach the gospel and and then you know we'll be done in a week and we'll fly home and that guy goes is there anybody there that's going to take these people and continue to teach them the bible and he goes no that's not our job our job is just to go in and evangelize them and he goes, well, I agree they need to be evangelized, but um, I'm, I think I'm going to pass on coming with you because you really need to plan this up a little farther. Put somebody in behind them because just to give them the gospel is not enough. And it, I mean, when and you look at it, it's like, oh, yeah, we want to get these people saved. Yes, but we got to go farther than that. You've got to teach them the Word of God so they can live their life out the way that God wants them to. And be, and showing and teaching the mysteries is part of that. Okay? And so, um, uh, you know, we, I kind of defined what a mystery is. And, and the mystery that we're looking at is, uh, we'll go through them here in a minute. So there's seven of them specifically to the church. And uh, when you ask most Christians, they, they couldn't even give you one of them. And why is that? That and their church doesn't, or their church doesn't teach it. And so when you're here and you're like, oh well, the guy, you know, we're going through the mysteries, and I've seen that five times. You know, we've studied it because it's important. God put it in His book for us. But a lot of them do not teach it. At least we have a church that will teach it. Now, if we're hearing and understanding, it's a different thing. And if you're like me, it takes two or three times to get it in my thick skull. So hearing it again is never... It's like somebody coming up and asking you if you're saved. Have you ever asked somebody if they know Christ or Savior and they kind of get offended? I'm like, ask me every day because I'll tell you. I'll be happy to tell you. You know, yes, I accepted Christ. That should not offend me. And some people are like, okay, yeah, I heard that once. I don't want to hear it again. Do you know it? Do you understand it? It's in the book. We're supposed to be living it out. And if we don't know it, how are we going to live it out? So it's important that we are stewards, not just the ministers, not just the pastors. Everybody should be uh, stewards of these minister, of these mysteries. Okay. And so I did find mystery in the Bible 22 times mentioned. I see the word mysteries in the Bible five times. And would you be shocked to believe that every one of those is in the New Testament? So I would imagine the counterpart of that would be um, prophecy in the Old Testament. Uh, last week I, I read one of the verses in Revelation that talked about a mystery that had been spoken of by the prophets before. And I think that mystery is, when you look at the context, that mystery is Christ is uh, the Lord coming back for the, the Advent. Uh, and they just, it just is, I mean, they've told them over and over and over, Christ is coming back, and it just was going over their head. And I think one of the problems that the people in the Old Testament had, let me write this for a minute, or take this off. 
I would say the the counterpart to that would be prophecies. Yes, Roger. Could you say that the prophecies in the Old Testament deal directly with Israel, but that the mysteries of the New Testament deal directly with the church? I do like that. Yes. So again, in the Old Testament, they go the focal point all through the Bible, specifically the Old Testament, is Christ, is the Lord coming back. The Lord to set up His kingdom, right? So they seek uh, God's kingdom. They don't even know anything about Christ. So God's kingdom, all in the Old Testament. Okay? They're looking for God to come down. What's that? Can you read that? Okay. I don't need to confuse you. I confuse myself. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm bad. Okay. So, they see this big mountain of prophecy that's all headed towards what? We call it the second coming of Christ. They don't know anything about Christ. They just know that, you know, they're going to stand before God. They see this big prophecies of, of God coming. Okay? And then you got Christ down here in front. There's another mountain in front of it. They can't see it. All they're seeing is the big one that overshadows it. They don't even see this one. And, and a, an example would be like going west through Colorado and you see Pikes Peak. But there's other mountains in front of it. You don't see them because they're not in your vision quite. You see the big main one, okay? And so the Old Testament, they were thinking, hey, uh, when, when God appears, when, when His Christ appears, it's only going to be one time. They didn't see the first time. They saw the second time. They didn't see the first time that Christ came. Because when Christ came the first time, they're like, no, wait a minute. When he's going to come in with all His glory and He's going to do this. And, and so when Christ came, lowly Christ came, they're like, no, you're not what, number one, you're not what we're expecting. But He was what was biblical. But they didn't see that. They saw the second one, but they never saw the first one. Okay? And that it was a, the church was a mystery to the people in the Old Testament until it was revealed. And the, And we are... We need to really thank the Jews for not believing God because in one essence they messed up on their job in the Old Testament by not bringing people into the, to a relationship with, with God through the Old Testament laws and things. And because of that, because of their unbelief, the Gentiles were grafted in, which is us. And so we were grafted in and at some point when the rapture happens, we'll study in a minute, then it all, it all goes back to the Old Testament again, back to the Jews. So we, the church is a mystery. It was a mystery completely before Paul starts revealing it, okay? Which Christ gave to him. So number one, it says the mystery of godliness. Now we did look at this just briefly last week. And so this mystery of godliness is God in there's a blank. What do you think goes in that blank? Flesh Either one. Flesh form. Flesh, human. But the mystery of godliness was here we have God in the form, in the shape, in the flesh of a man. Now that is quite a mystery. 
Because there are still a lot of people that don't understand that. There's still a lot of people that, that reject that. They go, well, Jesus wasn't God. Islam rejects it. Right. They do. And a lot of them will go, well, he is a prophet. Well, wait a minute. Prophets are not supposed to lie according to the Bible. Or he was... Uh, so if he says he's God, then you're supposed to take him out and stone him because he's obviously a liar if you don't believe he truly is God. And if if you just say, well, he's, he really wasn't God, he was just a good man. Well, the Bible defines good as only God is good. So strike two. And then strike three is they go, well, he was just a good teacher. Well, he taught that he was God. So if you don't believe that he is God, then he was a bad teacher. So basically, uh, you're just not believe, choosing to believe that Jesus said that he was God. So the first mystery here is that God was in human flesh. And we see that in 1 Timothy 3.16. So I'm going to have you guys turn over there. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So that's where I'm getting the, the term there. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. Now that's a quick synopsis of what Christ did when he was here. God in human form came to earth as a man, paid for our sins, was in the flesh. He was seen of angels, God himself, preached unto the Gentiles, believed up in the believed on in the world by some and received up in glory. That's kind of a quick fix here, but that is the mystery of godliness. God in the flesh. Okay. So I've got a couple other verses you can read in your own time. John chapter well in fact let's just go there. John chapter one verse fourteen. So if you want to know who Jesus is, read the book of John. Class on it in HBI. Good. Are you doing minor prophets? Yes. I thought so. You know how I thought so? Because you taught it in here. <laughs> okay. I Did I really? I told Rex, I said, Bob Hall's doing that one. How do you know? Because he taught it in our class. Okay. He says, where would I? Mm. Have Rex take it then. Okay. Uh, where was I? John one fourteen. John one fourteen tells us, and the Word, and who's the Word? Jesus. Jesus, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So if you want a good definition of grace and truth, it's Jesus Christ. But He was made flesh. Okay. And if you want to, I'm kind of backtracking, but go back to chapter 1, verse 1 says of John. says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was a God. Is that what your Bible says? you got to watch me, Joe. <laughs> That's what other Bibles will say. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses will teach. Well, Jesus was a God. He was a God. He just wasn't the God. Right, and they'll put him on the same level as Satan. 
My Bible does not teach that. Okay. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14, which we previously read, said, and the Word was made flesh. I don't know if you can get any more simple than that. Okay. And so that mystery of godliness is that Jesus came in the form of a man. Okay. Number two. We need to know that. People need to know that. And they need to, uh, because that, that is heart, soul, and center of, of, of the gospel. If Jesus was not God, then He couldn't have paid for our sins because all men are sinners. Uh, number two says, the mystery of the indwelling of the Spirit of God in... Now, Roger, I think you had this one. So, you finish the end. In you. In you or in us. So, the fact that we have the Holy Spirit living inside us is a mystery. And you're like... Uh, people can't seem to grab that if they're, if they're lost. Um, you know, one of the things is people can't understand, number one, the Holy Spirit. And right now, the big, t- I think I was talking with this somebody the other day and they're like, oh, they want to do AI to rewrite the Bible and we'll then ha- we'll have a perfect Bible. They don't, under- they don't understand the concept of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was behind the men, told them what to write. We don't have a book written by men by just their thoughts. We have a book written by men that told them what to write by the Holy Spirit. And so they're completely out of whack because they don't understand the mystery of the indwelling of of the Spirit of God in us. They don't really understand how the Holy Spirit works in general. But yet we have God's Spirit in us. We have been born again. To make it more personal, you could say me. Or in me, Yes. You know, John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Have you heard people say, just put your name there. Mm -hmm. For God so loved Bob, Mm -hmm. right? Or your name, that he gave his only begotten son. That if Bob would believe, you know, make it personal because of what it is. So, Roger, did you have a comment? My boss is a Muslim. Oh. And so, we've had this conversation and I've told him that I have been in prayer before and I've heard God answer me. Mm. He didn't believe that either. Mm. But I have heard the still small voice. Okay. And you will when you're like in Christ and in His Word all the time. You're hearing. Or if you're reading the Bible, I've heard right. his voice clearly. I've like heard your Bible. Oh yeah. It's an audible voice. It's in my head. It's in your head. Okay. My wife has a phrase like, I'll know it when I know it. It's like you are 110% sure that this is what God has revealed to you by either your prayer or in His Word. It was a voice. And the reason is, is why? Because we actually have the Holy Spirit in us. And so... the first time you hear it. It's like... Nobody else will hear it. Nobody else will hear it. Right. You, know, you hear it, but you know. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Right. And I've been places where there, I've been with supposedly with some Christians and something comes up and it's like, so what is the answer or what's being thrown in your face? What is the truth being revealed? And only one or two people catch it and the others are like, you, you, you didn't get that? 
and that'll happen. You know, at the time I heard, at times I've heard it, I've been in some sort of distress, mm-hmm. and it spoke peace into my heart. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're going to be goosebumps, basically. <laughs> or you just uh, God gives you peace about it. God gives God reveals His truth to you to a degree that you're like, I know this is exactly 100 percent from God, mm-hmm. and He can do that in different ways. But yes, so the mystery of the indwelling of the Spirit of God is Christ in us. So uh, you goes in that blank, and and to see that the best place to see that is back in Colossians that we're in. And back in the verse I think I've already read, Colossians 1, 26 through 28. And it says, Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. So now it's been declared to his saints. Notice it says his saints. That's why I made uh, a few weeks ago I was talking about Paul writing to this church and he says the ones that are in Christ and somebody stopped me and goes you kind of made a an implication there yeah this book is written to Christians so a lost person is not going to grab this if they don't have the Holy Spirit in them revealing the truth to them but to the church it is so we're kind of like the disciples getting the truth of the parables from Jesus when you're when you're saved and when you're in in Christ, which is the same, we have the mystery revealed to us. Okay, verse twenty-seven. I think I'll read it again. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery. So, what's the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory? So that's a mystery to the lost world, but to the church, it's not a mystery. And if it is a mystery to the church, it's not being taught. Okay? And then when you're out in the world and there, you may have some Christians around you and things are just black and white with you because I, I mean, number one, the Lord may have showed you that. You read it in scripture, um, whatever, and, and you know it and others don't know it and they're like, well, have you not, like you said, Roger, have you not studied this out? Has your church not taught you this? So, you need, you need to give your pastor a hug because if he's teaching you the Bible and teaching you the mysteries. So, okay, so there's some more verses there. This mystery is also the mystery of our new birth. What did Nicodemus want to know? How can you be born again? That was the question he wanted to know by the Holy Spirit. That's how you're born again. Okay? And so, in uh, chapter 2.11 kind of gives us a more technical term in Colossians about how, you, how you're born again. It says, In whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So when we accept Christ as our Savior, and we become in Christ, He, he circumcises our... our uh, our flesh from our soul, basically. And so that's a mystery. Same mystery that we're talking about. Okay, number three. I'm going to try to get through this today. The mystery of Christ. And when you think of the words, it's like, well, this one should be second, and second should be third, but whatever. The mystery of Christ is, and we're just going to go to the Bible to reveal this, is reveals that the Jew and Gentile are both in Christ. 
Christ goes in your blank. What is the mystery of Christ? That both the Jew and the Gentile are both in Christ in the New Testament. So this was a big deal for the New Testament church. Can a Jew and a Gentile be in one body or or in Christ or both be saved the same way? So even today, right now, if a Jewish person follows the law, he is not right with God. In this dispensation, he has to accept Christ as his Savior. And when he does, he's in the same church that the Gentiles are in. This was, to us, it's not a big deal. But back then, oh my, this was something else. So the mystery of Christ is, uh, is that the Jew and the Gentile are both in Christ in the New Testament and they are both in Christ's body in the church age. Okay. So body goes in your second blank. Because the body, the church is Christ's body, right? And He is the head. So, let's look at a few verses and see if we can, see if I can make more sense of this. In Ephesians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6 says, Ephesians 3, chapter, or verse 4 says, Whereby when you read ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So here we have now both Jew and Gentile in the same body, in the same church, in the New Testament. Okay? So turn over to chapter 5 of Ephesians in verse 30. Again, just kind of adding to that. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. Okay. Now back up to chapter 1 of Ephesians. And we'll see if we nail this completely down. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. We'll back up to verse 6. Let's back up to 5. Verse 5. Having predestinated us because we are in Christ, because we accepted Christ as our Savior, unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, whereby He hath bounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself. Again, a reference to the church, which includes the Jew and Gentile in Christ in the New Testament. I want to be very specific. This is New Testament. This is the age of grace that we're talking about. Okay? So the mystery of godliness, Jesus in human, God in human form, the mystery of the Holy Spirit in us, and the mystery of Christ, Jew and Gentile in one body. And then number four, the mystery of the restoration of Israel as a nation. Now, to us, this is not a big deal because they're already a nation, right? But from 
the time that this was written, the New Testament was written all the way up until 1948, Israel was not a nation. How many of you have read uh, Clarence Larkin's book or have seen it or studied anything he wrote? Okay. He mapped out all those maps and, and put the right, and he believed what the book Bible says and he put in there in the right spot of the church, of the nation of Israel being back in based on the Word of God. He lived before 1948. He didn't get to see it. That's really shocking. He, he was a Bible scholar and he believed what the book said and he was willing to, to make charts, put it in his teaching and says, this is what the Word of God says. They will become a nation again. I'm sure he got laughed at. He wrote the Dispensational Truth in 1919, I believe. Yes, so everything he wrote, I think he died before 48. So he, I don't believe he got to see them become a nation. I can imagine when, if he would have been alive, I'd have been probably, yes, I've been saying this for 70 years. They're going to be a nation again. I, because that's what the Word of God says. And so, uh, the mystery of the restoration of Israel as a nation, again, it's not a big shock to us, but it is to a lot of people. Um, God was going to allow Israel to become its own sovereign. That's what I have for the blank. Its own sovereign nation again to fulfill His promises to Israel. And you go, wait a minute, why is this, Why are you saying the church needs to know this? Because a lot of the churches have, have, have taken the stance that, well, since Israel rejected their Messiah, all those promises to the Old Testament comes to our church, and now we have those promises. Uh, there's a term for that. Anybody know the term? I'm not big on terms, but it's called replacement theology. It's where the church says all those promises given to the Israelites because they rejected it now come to the church. And there are many, many churches around the world, our country right now that believe that and preach that. But that's not what the Bible says. So how how do we know... Just open up the Bible and read it. Turn over to uh, Romans chapter 11. And the last I saw, Romans was still in the New Testament, right? In my Bible. Romans chapter 11 is all about Israel's future and that God's not done with them yet. And so how somebody can say, well... You know, those promises that God gave to Israel come to us now, I don't understand because they must have cut chapter 11 of Romans out of their Bible. Or they're not reading their Bible. In fact, let's just read this. We'll just go down through the whole chapter. It says, uh, chapter 11 of Romans says, I say then, hath God cast away his people? Speaking of the Jews, he says, God forbid, for I am also an Israelite, the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of, of the tribe of Benjamin. God hath not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not what the scripture saith to Elias, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets, and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Okay. Even so then, at the present time, there also there is a remnant according to the election of grace, 
And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What then? Israel hath obtained that which he has seeked for, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear, unto this day. And David saith, Let their table be made a snare, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense unto them. Talking about Israel, it's kind of like Pharaoh. They had hardened their heart so much that God says, Okay, I'll just let you believe what you want to believe. And that's still going on today. And verse 10 says, Let their eyes be darkened, they may not see, and bow down their back away. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. But rather through their fall, salvation is coming to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Again, I mentioned earlier, I'm kind of somewhat glad they messed up on their job because God went to the Gentiles just to kind of give them a, hey, these, this group got it. What's wrong with you guys? Okay. Verse 12 says, Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou be a wild olive tree, wert grafted in among them, and with the, them partaketh of the root and the fatness of the olive tree, and the olive here, tree here is being Israel, Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spared not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell. Severity. But toward thee, goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in an unbelief, shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut off, cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and wert grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these which be the natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, and so all Israel shall be saved, as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliver and shall turn away the ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. And we could keep going, but I'll stop there. So that whole chapter, you go back and break it down is, God says, hey, Israel's likened to an olive tree. That's my tree. And says, hey, they, by unbelief, I've taken them off. 
the branches and I've grafted in the Gentiles. But you know what? There's going to be a time when I'm going to wrap up the Gentile church. We call that the rapture. And so when I do that and I take those branches off, I'm grafting you guys back in. So he's using it as an example. But basically, it's, he's telling them all the way through the chapter of Romans 11 that God's not done with them. And when God gives you a promise, when Bob gives Bob a promise, he's not going to take that promise from me and give it to somebody else. That's what I'm banking my whole life on. He promised salvation to, to the Jews that accepted him in the Old Testament and followed his law. He, he's, he's, and because of unbelief, he kind of pulled that from them for a while. The age of grace, which was the small mountain that you see, takes place. We have a time period where he's going to allow the Gentiles to come in. He would have allowed the Gentiles in the Old Testament, and we saw some with Ruth. Uh, who else? Ruth's an example. Rahab's an example. We've seen people that were Gentiles were, were basically grafted in the, the Old Testament. But uh, he's grafting all of us as Gentiles in during this time period in this age of grace that we live in. And so the, the fact is there's a mystery. And, and again, up until 1948, the mystery is, is, is God really going to put Israel back as a nation? And you can go back and study that out with all the wars they've had and everything that's going on. There is no reason why there should be a nation of Israel today. I mean, it, it's a miracle they're there with all the people that's been against them. And our own little president, Harry Truman, pushed to get them in. As in, uh, what do I want to say, the United, recognized as a nation back in 1948. And so before that, you've heard Brian talk about, or anybody talking about this, the Balfour Declaration, where in World War One they were going to give the land back to the to the Jews. And then they didn't do it. It kept it kept going on and on and on, and it wasn't until 1948 that it came about to get done. And do you know that when they voted to put Israel in as a nation before, I guess, the United Nations? Who do you think was the people that were buying them, wanting it done? I'm just asking questions. This is a history lesson today. What would make sense? The United States, but who else? Lord Balfour was from where? He was from Britain. He was from England. And England, in the Balfour Declaration, was in their con- in their Congress. They put a bill out that they would put Israel, give them a part of their nation back, and declare them as a nation. They never did. And in 1948, when it came time for a vote, England abstained from voting. So from 19, whenever the Balfour Declaration was, 1917 to 1948, they kept pushing the can, kicking the can down the road to get Israel in. They reneged on their promise, and then when it came time for a vote, they even reneged on that and said, no, we're going to abstain from it. I'm like, wow. Oh well, that's, that's kind of a little history lesson today. Okay. So the mystery is Israel was going to be reformed as a sovereign nation. Number five, the mystery of the rapture of the church. Now, I think you all know that, what that mystery is. There are some verses here, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. And that mystery is, we should all know, is we're going to get caught out of here, aren't we? 
And so I just put down there, that's going to be one awesome ride. You guys that like roller coasters, it won't, or those heights, all that, I hadn't thought about that. I don't like heights. You'll have to say about that. <laughs> I mean, we are, wow, that's going to be quite a ride. I mean, the Lord's going to come down and get us, and then we're going to be forever with the Lord. So that's a mystery. There's still a lot of people deciding, well, does that take place mid, mid tribulation, uh, before tribulation? Uh, and then I've heard Christians talk about, and they go, oh, those silly people that believe in the rapture. Uh, the Bible talks about it. There is a, there is, Christ is coming back to get us. Now, I might give the guy, I might give somebody a little leeway if they they got, think it's in the middle of the trip but before they guide us. He says he's a Christian and he says he doesn't believe it. He's messed up. His, his church isn't teaching him the mysteries. Okay? Okay, so we pretty well know that. And then we got the mystery of iniquity, the next one, number six. So this is the mystery that of the Antichrist and Satan exposed. That's a mystery. It kind of goes along with number seven. And I'll just, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to speed this up. The mystery of Babylon the Great, Revelation chapter 17. Now that mystery Babylon the Great is Satan's religious and political realm intertwined. They are exposed and they also get destroyed. Right now the, the church, right, and let me rephrase that. Right now the world believes that the Pope and the Catholic system is God's church on earth. And they are so messed up. Because that is absolutely not the case. Okay? And that's why it's going to be so easy for them to accept the Antichrist when he comes. Because they believe that system is, 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 is a Christian system. And so when the guy, that false Christ shows up, it's going to fit right in to their thinking. Now I'll, I'll let you think about this and start watching for it. When you watch the news, if you do watch the news, read newspaper, you'll, you'll hear people say, well, the Christians and the Catholics, and mostly it's the Catholics and the Christians say, you know, we're here. And I've always wondered, why do they separate those? I thought, technically a Catholic should be a Christian. But they're always separated when you hear it or read it in a book or, or see somebody quote something on TV. It'll always be, well, the, the Catholics and the Christians, you know, did this or whatever. And a lot of people will hate Christianity because they see what the Catholic Church does. They just don't understand. It's a mystery to them. That's not the true church. That's a false church. That we actually, Bible-believing church is the real church. Uh, or at least we believe what the book says. So the mystery of Babylon the Great, the mystery of iniquity. Um, but it's not a mystery to us. So why are these not mysteries to us? Because they're in our Bible. If you don't have the right Bible or if you don't use your Bible and you just go to church and let them tell you nothing, you don't know. It's a mystery to you. There's a couple other mysteries in the Bible. Uh, the mysteries of the kingdom back in Matthew. The mysteries of last week we read in Colossians 1, uh, 2, 2, verse 2 says uh, the mystery of God the Father. The mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. And that's a little harder to pull apart what that is. I think it's a combination of all of them, honestly. 
And then you have the mystery of the seven stars and candlesticks in Revelation. Uh, you got um, the the mystery of Enoch's wife. Now, who have, who of you have figured that one out? Anybody? Okay. Yeah. Turn over to Genesis five, and we're going to look at this. Genesis five. Verse 21. Okay. Everybody there? And Enoch lived sixty and five years and he, and he begat Methuselah. Now what's the, what's Methuselah's name to fame? He's the oldest man ever in the Bible or ever. Okay. And he begat Methuselah three hundred years and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And Methuselah lived a hundred eighty and seven years, and he begot Lamech. And Methuselah lived after he begat Lamech seven hundred eighty and two years, and he begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Methuselah were nine hundred and sixty and nine years, and he died. Now jump over to the next page if you have a Bible like mine, and it says in verse uh, eight. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. First time grace is mentioned. And these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And you can continue on with the story. And the mystery that I have here is, who was Enoch's wife and who was Noah's wife? It doesn't say, does it? Does that bother you? Are you able to sleep at night not knowing that? It bothers me. I have a hard time going to sleep because I'm like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, so who is Noah's wife? That's a mystery to me. Why is it a mystery? It hasn't been revealed. I'm trying to make a point here. (laughs) It's an illustration. I have a lot of mysteries in the Bible that I have not, I don't know. And the reason I don't know is because it hasn't been revealed. So what is a mystery? Something that hasn't been revealed. Yet, okay, but it will be. How many of you have the question like, okay, well, uh, where did God come from? Doesn't say. I don't know. That'll be one of those questions when you get to see Christ. You go, you know, I could do have a few questions for you. <laughs> Some of us are going to be, I'm just so happy to be here. <laughs> You'll be a mini pro. I'm just so, what she used to say, howdy, I'm so happy to be here. That's probably going to be me. I probably forget about all the questions. There's a lot of things that's not written in the Bible. We can't know. Well, once we're there, we'll, we'll be I'm assuming he's going to reveal it to us. And there are a lot of people here who go, "Well, you know, I I don't I don't understand you Christians. I can't understand anything that I can't understand all about it." In other words, where did God come from? And because I can't answer, because you can't answer that question, why should I believe you? Why should I believe anything? You're not going to know it until it's revealed. All we have is enough that we need. And that's kind of a cop-out that people use. But the point is, there's a lot of things we don't understand because God just hasn't revealed it yet. And yet the ones that He does, that's the ones we need to focus and at least know. 
Okay, So let's pray and we'll get out of here. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth that you've given to the church. We thank you for the truth that, that applies to us and that we need to know to help uh, give us assurance to, to your promises, to help give us assurance how to live our lives and help to give us assurance of what to tell other people uh, basically, not just what we believe, but what your book says. And so I pray that we would take these mysteries and that we would uh, know them and be able to explain them to other people what that mystery at that particular place is, the ones that have been revealed to us. So I pray for that, and I just pray you give us a great day today and a good week during this uh, uh, 4th of July uh, week, and I will give you the honor and praise in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Thank you.